Will anybody else besides me like pie? Who likes pie? Chocolate pie, lemon pie. Yeah, I, I love pie. Now there's a difference between knowing about pie and then like experiencing it and, and, and tasting it. Like those are two completely different things. How many of you have been pied in the face? Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay, couple. I've been pied in the face. Uh, here's a few years ago at Raider Church, which was a ministry Mark and I led. Mark acted like he was praying for me on my birthday and then he pied me in the face. I thought I was receiving this prayer, this blessing, and he pied me in the face. This past summer at family camp, Mark decided to get my wife in on it, my sweet wife, who is not very sweet, and she pied me in the face at our family camp this morning because I lost a rigged contest to, are you smarter than a fifth grader? When I was pied in the face, I had pie on me, in me, in my ears, in my nose. It was, it was everywhere. I smelled like pie for the next day. I was just, I was overwhelmed with pie, just all over me, inside and out. And that's kind of the way the Bible describes the Christian's experience with the Holy Spirit. Starting at conversion, a believer in Christ has this powerful and miraculous encounter with the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit begins to indwell, like dwell in you. And then throughout your Christian life, there are moments of this overwhelming, empowering and powerful encounters and experiences with the Holy Spirit. We're in the middle of a series we're calling Creed. Creeds are one of the ways Christians throughout church history have tried to simply express our theology, what we believe about God. We, we've said this almost every summer, every year in our creed series that a creed is like a fat guy in a little coat. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A fat guy in a little coat. It kind of barely covers the person, right? But, but it's there. And, and creeds or Christian theology are like fat guys in a little coat. It, it's, it gives us some handles by which we can know God and understand God at the same time, not ever fully containing God. One of the examples throughout church history are creeds like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed that try to explain Christian theology in simple, easy to understand ways. And we do this series about once a year so that we can know and understand basic Christian theology because there's a lot we can disagree on and still have fellowship with one another. We're gonna disagree on minor issues sometimes, but there are some things like majors that we cannot disagree on because if we do, we lose the gospel. We lose objective truth. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, he said, you got to watch your doctrine closely, closely. He would tell Titus and Timothy, teach good doctrine and correct bad doctrine. So what we believe, our theology, our doctrine is very important. And we study theology here at the City Church at least once a year. We do all the time, but we really dive into what we believe in Christian theology about once a year because we, we believe it's important to create stable Christians, deep Christians, deep committed disciples of Jesus that aren't blown back and forth by every new thing that comes along. We've said this over and over and over again, especially in our study of the Gospel of Luke, that we're not about drawing crowds and numbers, we're, we're about developing committed, deep disciples of Jesus, a remnant people of God, a people that follow God and his word in spite of the direction the culture 
is headed. And this year in our Creed series, we're talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And so last week, Brandon did a phenomenal job preaching on who is the Holy Spirit. And we said the Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit's a person, and the Holy Spirit is God with us. Next week, we're going to talk about the roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what the Holy Spirit does. This week, we're talking about receiving the Holy Spirit, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you got our app, I would grab that, get on it, download it. It's called the City Church Lubbock. You can download it in your app store and follow along with us because we're gonna have a lot of points, a lot of quotes and places where you can fill in the blank. That's a great way to stay engaged in our time together. The City Church Lubbock and then go to message notes in our app. In the old covenant that God made with Israel, God promised a new covenant. And so through the prophet Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Joel, and others, God promised that he would make a new covenant with the house of Israel that wouldn't just be for the nation of Israel, but it would be for all nations. It would be for all people. Here's an example in Ezekiel chapter 36. God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel and he says this, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a tender heart responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So God says in the new covenant that I'm going to make with Israel, that's going to be for all nations, God says, I'm going to take out your hard, stubborn heart that's hard to me, that's apathetic towards me, and I'm going to give you a new heart that's sensitive to me and that, that, that loves me, and I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. And through Jeremiah, God would say, by my putting my spirit inside of you, I'm going to move you from the inside out to follow me and obey me and worship me and, and, and serve me. It's not going to be this old covenant law where you do better and try harder like it's some sort of religious checklist. No, in the new covenant, God says, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you and move you from the inside out to follow me and to worship me and to hate your sin and to pursue holiness. In fact, Paul would say in Romans chapter seven about the new covenant, he says this, Romans seven, verse six. Now, we serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law. So, so not in the old way anymore. There's a new way. There's a new covenant. We obey God. We serve God, he says, in the new way of living in the spirit. That's the new covenant. And so Christians receive the Holy Spirit and they walk in the spirit and they live by the spirit. And this is the new covenant. This is the new way that we serve God, not in the old way of this code or this external pressure to perform, to do better and try harder, but through this inner moving of God's spirit from the inside out. And this initial experience of God placing his spirit inside of us, the new Testament calls baptism in the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 24, if you remember from our verse-by-verse -verse study of the Gospel of Luke, at the very end of Luke chapter 24, God promised his disciples, hey, go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit, go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter one, Jesus says the same thing. Go to Jerusalem, wait for the Spirit. My Spirit's gonna be poured out on you. And in Acts chapter two, what Jesus promised happened. Acts chapter two, starting in verse one, it says this. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. 
And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So there's this crowd that forms and they all start hearing the gospel being preached in their own native tongue, in their own language. And they're like, what's going on here? And, and, and these crowds by the thousands have shown up and they're hearing the gospel being preached in their own language. And, and they begin to accuse the believers of being drunk. And so Peter starts to explain what just happened that we just read. He begins to explain what, what, what just happened here. And he explains it by quoting from the prophet Joel. He says, guys, they're not, they're not drunk. He says, it's only 9 a.m., okay? If we're going to drink, we hadn't started yet, right? So they're not drunk, okay? Acts 2, verse 16, here's what Peter said. No, what you're seeing was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. So this first baptism in the Holy Spirit happens in Acts chapter two, and it marks the beginning of the new covenant. Now, before God's spirit had come upon and filled various people all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Covenant, but usually God's spirit came upon and filled leaders, individuals, but not the entire people. And God says in the new covenant, I'm gonna place my spirit inside of you. We just read this in Ezekiel. I'm gonna place my spirit inside of you in, 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 in all my people, I'm gonna take out their heart of stone. I'm gonna give them a heart of flesh. I'm gonna put my spirit inside of them. I'm gonna move them to follow me from the inside out. So now in the new covenant, we see in Acts chapter two, all the believers receive the Holy Spirit. So now God's spirit is going to indwell every Christian and it makes them a child of God. And so when you gave your life to Jesus, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Big spiritual world is called, word is called regeneration. You are dead in your sin. You're now new. You're alive in Christ. And you're born again, as Jesus would say. You've been born again into the family of God. And you receive the spirit of God living inside of you at that moment of your conversion. In Acts chapter 2, we see this exact thing play out. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter's still preaching. He tells the crowd, you guys put Jesus on the cross. You put the Messiah, you killed the son of God on the cross and they're broken over their sin. They have no idea what they're gonna do. The fear of God comes upon them because they realize they killed the Lord's anointed. They killed the Messiah. And, and Peter says, Here, here's what you're gonna do. He's like, what do we do? And Peter says, here's what you do. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and then be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of your sin. So you give your life to Jesus, you, you get baptized in water. We're going to see some people get baptized here in just a little bit. And when you get baptized, you're representing, it's a symbol that represents you're dead to your old life. You're now new in Christ. You were dead in your sin, but God made you alive with Christ when you believe the gospel. So Peter says, give your life to Jesus, get baptized, and then watch what he says. What happens when you give your life to Jesus? Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When do you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? When you've done better and tried harder? When you've learned enough? When you've gotten spiritual enough? No, Peter says you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when you give your life to Jesus. 
Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Who's been baptized in the Holy Spirit? If you're a Christian, we all have. We all receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're all baptized into the body of Christ, into the family of God by the one spirit, and we all share that same spirit. Paul would say in Romans chapter five, verse five, that those who've been reconciled to God experience his love being poured out into their hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He would say in Galatians chapter three, verses one through five, that the Galatians received the Holy Spirit through believing the gospel, not through works of the flesh, not by doing better and trying harder, not by getting more spiritual or more knowledgeable. No, he, he, he said you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when you believed the gospel. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter one, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with some spiritual blessings, a quarter of the spiritual blessings, three quarters of the, no. Paul would say, all, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. In verse 13, Ephesians chapter one, he said this, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. A quarter of the Holy Spirit, half the Holy Spirit, three quarters, no. He gave you the Holy Spirit, every spiritual blessing in Christ whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. So Michael Byrd in his evangelical theology said this, therefore, spirit baptism refers to the initial experience of the Holy Spirit that denotes the rushing and uncontrollable divine power falling on a person at their conversion. Its imagery is akin to standing under a waterfall of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a genuinely new blessing in the new covenant that has a cleansing and purifying effect on, a, on believers as part of their conversion experience. So when you give your life to Jesus, the Bible is clear. You are baptized into the Holy Spirit. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling inside you. Now, we find one exception to this in the book of Acts, one exception. But by its very nature, exceptions are not the rule, right? They're not the norm. It's called an exception for a reason. It's because it's an exception. In Acts chapter eight, when the church in Jerusalem hears that there's some Samaritans who've believed the word of God, they've believed the gospel, they send some apostles, Peter and John, to investigate because these Samaritans are like half-breed Jews and Jews don't like Samaritans and the Samaritans don't like the Jews. And so the, these, these Jewish Christians don't really like the idea of these Samaritans believing what they think is their gospel. It's for us. So they're not too excited about this. And so they send Peter and John to investigate. Well, Peter and John discovered that though many of the Samaritans had believed the gospel, they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And so they prayed and these new converts received the Holy Spirit. Now, there's no indication in the rest of the scripture that this two-stage conversion experience and receiving the Spirit later is some sort of normative pattern. 
It was, as many scholars would say, a historically exceptional situation for the purpose of establishing unity between the Jewish and Samaritan believers, between the Jewish and what would become Samaritan churches. The Samaritans received the promised spirit at the hands of the apostles after their trusting in Christ for salvation. The final blessings of conversion, baptism in the spirit did not come when they initially believed, but came after Peter and John, those apostles came to investigate. This had the effect of bringing the Samaritan believers under the apostolic umbrella, under apostolic authority and ensured the unity of the church. Otherwise, the Samaritans would have remained this splinter group because of their historical animosity towards the Jewish people and vice versa. So rather than establishing this post-conversion norm of baptism in the spirit, the manifestation of the spirit in the Samaritans served to indicate to the Jewish apostolic church that Samaritans were now included in the body of Christ. It was a historically exceptional situation, not the norm. In fact, we don't see it in the rest of the scripture. Now, some people say, well, what about Acts 19? Paul goes to Ephesus and there's some believers there, but they haven't yet received the Holy Spirit. Well, when Paul gets there to Ephesus, he asks, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they're like, we don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit? And some of you may be like that this morning. What's the Holy Spirit? I don't even know what we're talking about. I've heard of Jesus, but what's the Holy Spirit? And so Paul asked them, well, did you, not, did you not receive the spirit when you believed the gospel? And they're like, we've only heard of John's baptism. So these are not believers in Christ. They believed John as a herald of the Messiah that was to come. And they were baptized in John's baptism, but they had not yet received the gospel. They had not yet believed the gospel. So Paul preaches the gospel. They receive the Holy Spirit. And then it says, kind of like in Acts 2, they begin to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them the ability. Now you may have heard that speaking in tongues is always the sign of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And if you don't speak in tongues, then it must mean you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But that's not what the scripture says. You read through the book of Acts and people receive the Holy Spirit. They're baptized in the Spirit. They're filled with the Spirit. Sometimes they speak in tongues. Sometimes they don't. And Paul would clarify, clarify this for us to his letter in his letter to the Corinthians. And he would say, uh, do, do all speak in tongues? And Paul would say, no, because it's a gift. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit administers those gifts to different people. Some preach, some serve, some administrate, some speak in tongues, some prophesy. There's all kinds of different gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that administers those gifts. And Paul says, so do all preach? No. Do all prophesy? No. Do all speak in tongues? And Paul says, no, they don't because it's a gift. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Skip Heitzig of Calvary Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and his, his church, Calvary Church, is connected to Calvary Chapel, which is a very large denomination, if you will, and both lean towards a, a more charismatic theology. Now, they would say like us, we're, we're word and spirit, which means we're charismatic with seatbelts, right? We, we, we believe in the gifts of the spirit and signs and wonders and things like that, but, but we got the word of God as our seatbelt, right? We're, we're, uh, we're a sailboat. We need the, the wind of the Holy Spirit for power, but we've got to have the rudder of the word of God 
directing the ship on where to go and keeping us in line. So word and spirit. And, and, and Calvary Church, Pastor Skip would, would say their, their word and, and spirit. So would, so would Calvary Chapel. I, I, I bring up Pastor Skip in, in, in Calvary Church in Albuquerque because they do lean more charismatic. And here's what he would say. Baptism with or in the spirit happens at conversion. It's semantics, but words are important. People that go around asking the question, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Have you spoken in tongues? Here's what he said. Most of the time are misusing scripture. All the time, that's not what he said. But he said most of the time, people that walk around asking, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Have you spoken in tongues? Most of the time they're misusing scripture and he said they're thrill seekers after what he calls the shakes and the chandalas. It's his sarcastic way of describing being slain in the spirit and speaking in tongues. And so Skip would say, people that walk around say, well, have you been baptized in the spirit? Have you spoken in tongues? He said, they're thrill seekers most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, misusing the scripture. Skip would say, baptism in the spirit is a one-time event and it never happens again. But there are many times a person is filled with the Holy Spirit. And this ongoing experience with the Holy Spirit after conversion is what the New Testament calls being filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter in Acts chapter 2 is filled with the Spirit along with all the other believers. And then he steps up and he starts preaching. In Acts chapter 4, Peter again is preaching to the Sanhedrin. It says he's filled with the Spirit. He was baptized in the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 along with the rest of the church when the new covenant age began. But he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. In Acts chapter 4, it says all the believers are praying and they're filled with the Holy Spirit as a result. They've already received the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, you receive the Spirit now in the new covenant age at your conversion. But we are to be filled with the Spirit over and over and over again. Acts chapter 6, the apostles say to choose some men to serve who are filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 7, the very first Christian martyr, Stephen, is filled with the Holy Spirit as he preaches the gospel. In Acts chapter 9 and 13, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is preaching and it says the Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening. And listen, that's my prayer. I pray that scripture every single week. Every time, right before I walk up those stairs to, to, to preach, I pray, God, let your spirit fall on all who hear the word of God today. In Acts chapter 11, Barnabas is known to be a man full of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 13, it says, all the believers again are filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul would write in Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. Instead, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Greek construction there of that verb is like, keep being on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's this ongoing, continuing pursuit and relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's why Paul would say to the Galatians, live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And so watch this, being filled with the Holy Spirit 
is not getting more of the Holy Spirit. We said last week that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent because he's God. He's everywhere. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is not necessarily about getting more of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit getting more of us. It's about submitting more and more of my life, my mind, my heart, my mouth, my body. It's about submitting myself to the rule and control and the influence of the Holy Spirit in my life. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is not about getting more of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit getting, Holy Spirit getting more of us. Michael Byrd, again, in his evangelical theology would say this, as to being filled with the Spirit, I maintain that whereas spirit baptism is a singular initiatory and unrepeatable event, he's talking about conversion, filling with the spirit is a secondary and repeatable experience in the Christian life. Bird would go on to say, filling with the spirit brings an inner warmth and a visible joy to the life of a believer. Being filled with the spirit elicits a delighting in the Lord and a special sense of peace in one's soul. Bird would go on to say, being filled with the Spirit means to have God's empowering presence fall on you. It is rather more akin to being wrapped in a blanket of heavenly joy. It is something to be energetically sought after, prayed for, and valued in church life. It's the power and presence of God falling on you. Jack Deere was a former Dallas Theological Seminary professor, and he would have labeled himself what's called a cessationist. A cessationist is someone who doesn't believe in signs and, and wonders happening today. It, it's, it's someone who doesn't believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit being in operation in the church today. And so Jack Deere was a seminary professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He was a cessationist. But then he would say, the Holy Spirit surprised me. And I experienced some signs and wonders. And I began to see some of the more miraculous gifts in operation. And Jack Deere went from being a cessationist to what we call a continuationist. A continuationist is someone who believes in the ongoing working of the Holy Spirit to this day. Who believes in signs and wonders happening today. Who believes in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit being in operation in the church today. And so Jack Deere went from being a cessationist to a continuationist because he said, I was surprised by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he wrote a book called Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit. Barry, our prayer admissions pastor, told me about this book several years ago. And I read that book and some others he had recommended to me. I was a Baptist kid growing up and uh, we talked about the Holy Spirit, but stayed away from a lot of the things we're talking about today. And um, so, but as I've, read the, as I've read the scripture and through my own experiences and study, I would agree with Jack Deere today. I'm a continuationist. I, I believe in signs and wonders and all the gifts of the Holy Spirit being in operation today. And so in his book, Jack Deere talks about being surprised by the Holy Spirit, where he encountered the power and presence of God, where he encountered the filling of the Holy Spirit and he began to see all the gifts at work. And I, I read this book and I just began to pray, this was probably two years ago now, that God would surprise me with his spirit. I had had 
encounters with the Lord where I felt like I had been filled with his spirit many times in the past, but I just began to pray kind of like Jack Deere did. God surprised me with your spirit. And this was a couple of years ago, but we were at our Wednesday night prayer gathering and I was on the front row where I normally sit and I was just on my knees kind of praying and we were worshiping and all of a sudden I felt this weight come upon me like it was the physical glory and like presence of God, but it weighted me down so much I didn't feel like I could get up off my knees. Now, I wasn't what some people would call slain the spirit. I wasn't on the ground. I wasn't shaking or convulsing or doing anything like that, but I was on my knees and I felt like I couldn't get up. It was like I felt the weight of God's glory and holiness like on me and that I, I, I wasn't worthy like to be in his presence. And I stayed like that for a little while until there was this moment where it was like the realization again of the gospel that no, I'm not worthy to be in the presence of God by my own merit like we sang it about a little bit ago, but because of what Jesus had done for me on the cross receiving the righteousness of God and becoming, as the scripture would say, Jesus, our eternal high priest, making a new and living and eternal way for us to go straight to the throne of God. I felt this freedom come over me. All of a sudden I stood up and I was just worshiping. It was a moment with, with God where I felt just the power and the presence of God, like literally as a weight on me. A couple of years ago when I was preaching one Sunday, all of a sudden, this happens sometimes, but never to this degree. I was preaching and all of a sudden, it was like the Holy Spirit took over in that moment. And there was a stretch of two or three minutes where I literally felt like my body was on fire. Like I, like I could feel and sense the heat, like from head to toe, like I was literally on fire. It wasn't a month ago, six weeks ago, when I was about to preach on the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus and I, I walked up here and all of a sudden it was like the, the power and just overwhelming great news of the God, it just hit me in this way and I just was weeping and I couldn't even begin. It's just a moment where you're Feeling, you're experiencing the power and presence of God in a very real and tangible way. And Paul says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Bird would say in his evangelical theology, again, our faith is not purely cerebral, but also experiential. For as we pursue devotion to the Father and adhere to the doctrines about the Son, it is surely to our detriment that we ignore our experience of the Holy Spirit who mediates the presence and power of God. A Christian longs for the presence of God. It's, it's our reward. It's not these physical manifestations of the spirit. It's not the gifts of the spirit. No, a, a Christian longs for the presence of God and it's the Holy Spirit that, that mediates the, the, the presence of God. Francis Chan in his book, Forgotten God said this, though I do not believe God gives us his spirit solely for our personal benefit, it is undeniable that one of the greatest aspects of being in relationship with the Holy Spirit is the intimacy, security, and encouragement he brings us. It is then 
We can serve God as a beloved child rather than a stressed out, guilt-ridden slave. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have this overwhelming, tangible experience with the presence of God. And it's the Holy Spirit that, that mediates that. But Bird says it's not just the presence, it's the power of God. And so secondly, although a Christian longs for the presence of God, we long for the power of God because we understand that in the weakness of our flesh, we cannot do what the scripture is commanding for us to do. We can't do it by doing better and trying harder in and of ourselves in our own effort because of the weaknesses of our flesh. So we long for God's power to fill us and to do in us and for us what we can never do for ourselves. That's why Paul told the Galatians in Galatians chapter three, that their sanctification, their growth in Christ, it happens by the power of the spirit, not by their own efforts. And so it's why we say here almost every week, we're not gonna challenge you to do better and try harder. No, we're gonna tell you hope in Christ. Your hope is in Christ alone and in the power of the Holy Spirit to do in you, through you, and for you what you could never do for yourself. So three takeaways this morning. Here's the first one. There's one baptism, but many fillings. One baptism in the Holy Spirit that happens at the moment that you are converted, the moment that you're regenerated. Jesus called it being born again. When you're born again into the family of God by your faith in Christ, at that moment, you're regenerated, you're converted, and you receive the Holy Spirit. That's baptism in the Holy Spirit. But as a Christian who walks with Christ, there's going to be many fillings of the Holy Spirit over and over and over Again, one baptism, but many fillings. Second takeaway, walking in the spirit or being filled with the spirit is not about losing control, but giving control. It's not about losing control of all of my faculties. No, the focus is on giving over control of my life. It's submitting my life under the authority of God and his word. And as I do that, as I give over more and more of myself and more and more of my life, I live by the spirit and I walk in the spirit. It's not about losing control. It's about giving over control. It's no wonder Paul equated being filled in the spirit to being drunk with wine. Because a Christian who's walking in the spirit and, being, and, and living by the spirit and filled with the spirit is under the influence of the Holy Spirit's direction in their life. They've given over control to the Holy Spirit. Third, third takeaway is this. We don't seek the power, we seek the person. Don't seek the power. Don't, don't seek after the manifestations and, and the gifts per se. We seek after the person. As Brandon preached on last week, the Holy Spirit is a person. And you can grieve the Holy Spirit just like you can grieve a person. You can hurt the Holy Spirit just like you can hurt a person. Why? How? When all you're in it for is what they can give you. Right? Every one of us knows what it's like to have someone use us to get what they want. 
And when we do that with the Holy Spirit, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We hurt the Holy Spirit. When we're just after the gifts, when we're just after the power, when we're just after the seeking after the manifestations of the Spirit, we're just using the person of the Holy Spirit to get selfishly what we want. So we don't seek the power. We seek the person. We seek the relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. You seek the power and you can be led astray from the person. Because the scripture is clear. We've got a battle, not against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers in an unseen world. There are demonic forces and power that can speak to you and lead you and even perform miraculous signs and wonders. In fact, we're told in Revelation that the Antichrist will one day be killed and then come back to life. He'll, he'll, He'll rise from the grave. So so if all you're after is the power, if all you're after is the manifestations, if all you're after is the miraculous signs and wonders, you can easily be led astray to a very dark place. No, we're after the person of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God, the relationship with God through the Holy Spirit is the reward. When all you do is seek the power, when all you do is kind of seek the the manifestation, the, 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 the experience, if you will. If you're not careful, you, get, you start to fall into what church history calls Gnosticism. The Bible warns against it. It's a people who begin to think that they've got a special knowledge or a special experience that you've got to come to them in order to have. And if you don't, if you haven't experienced what they have, and and if you don't do what they do, and you don't have the gifts that they have, and if you don't come to them to get those gifts and to get that power and to get those manifestations, then you're B team and we're A team. You're JV and I'm varsity. It's Gnosticism, just a new form of Gnosticism. I've got a special knowledge, a special experience that you don't have, and if you want it, you gotta come through me to get it. You gotta follow me to get it. That's just Gnosticism. So that's, that's one error, that's one extreme. But here's the other error, here's the other extreme, and we see it in American churches, and it's rampant today, and it is carnal, or what we would call fleshly Christians who are unspiritual, religious, apathetic, who sit in church watching their clocks, Ready to be go- ready to go because they got somewhere else to be. That just show up as if this is some checklist, as if this is some external code that we've got to perform in order to please God. And so they're unspiritual. They're very carnal, or what we call fleshly. And let's be honest. Let's just get real. They're not Christians. One error is Gnosticism. You got to have this experience. You gotta do what I do. You gotta have the gifts that I have and you gotta come to me in order to get it. That's Gnosticism. That's JV and varsity Christians. There's no such thing as that. But then the other error is what we've got going on in a lot of churches in our country today. And that is religious people who show up to church thinking if they show up, they're a part of the club, but they're unspiritual. They're bored to tears. They can't wait to get out of here. And it's because they don't have the spirit of God. They're not Christians. And some of you are in that boat. 
You are fooling yourself thinking you're something you're not. You're, you're, you're claiming to be something you're not. You've deceived yourself into thinking you're something you're not because you don't have the Holy Spirit. You know how I know? Because God promised in the new covenant, he would place his spirit inside of you. He would take out that hard, apathetic heart and he would give you a sensitive heart to him that loves him. That would, where you would be moved from the inside out to love Jesus and follow Jesus and worship Jesus and gather together with Christians and study your Bible. And you would love to pray and you would love spending time in worship. Why? You didn't want to do those things before because God said in the new covenant, I'm going to place my spirit inside of you and I'm going to move you from the inside out. It's not going to be this external pressure to perform anymore. No, it's Paul in Romans 7. We serve God in the new way of the spirit where God's spirit is inside of me and is crying out for more of God and for more of his word and to know him and to experience him. There's this inner cry. There's this inner passion. There's this inner heartbeat for the heavenly things of God, for spiritual things. And you don't have that. You might show up to church, but you don't have this inner passion and desire and drive to know God. You're not a Christian. You've been deceiving yourself into thinking you're something you're not. And one day, Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, you're gonna stand before God and God's gonna say, depart from me. I never knew you. You thought you were part of the club because you show up? Because you check the box more times than not? because you checked a card, because you prayed a prayer. I tell you almost every week, that sinner's prayer is nowhere to be found in your Bible. Get real. Paul said, test yourself. See whether you're really in the faith. If you don't have God's spirit alive, pumping inside of you, wanting more of God, you're not a Christian. Because the scripture is clear, when you're born again, you receive God's spirit inside of you and you are moved from the inside out to know God, serve God, worship God. Some of you are here and you're just going through the motions and you've been going through the motions since you were a child. My prayer for you today is that you will get real. You'll cry out in faith to Jesus. You'll believe the gospel. You'll be born again. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. And then for others of you, man, it's been a long time since you've really experienced God. You've you've gone through the motions. But if you're honest, you'd say you're spiritually apathetic. My prayer for you is that God would revive your heart this morning. He would fill you with his Holy Spirit. That his Spirit would fall on you this morning once again and change you and transform you from the inside out. Would you pray with me? Heads bowed, eyes closed, just a moment between you and the Lord. Some of you are here and you're in that first boat. You've been playing games. You've been doing the church thing. You've been going through the motions of religion.
but you never really believed the gospel, gave your life to Jesus and received the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, I wanna challenge you that today is your day, now is your time. This is the moment, this is why you're here right now. Is you might believe, as Paul said in Romans 10, 9, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he rose from the grave and that you would give your life to Jesus in this, abandon all hope in your works, abandon all hope in your religion, abandon all hope in yourself and place all of your hope in Christ alone who died for you, paid the fine for your sin, rose from the grave, conquering sin, conquering death. And today you would give your life to Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit that will make you alive in Christ. If that's you and that's your decision, that's your prayer, Fill out that connect form that's in the seat back in front of you. Check that box that says you're committing your life to Christ. Take it to our welcome center in the lobby after the service. We'd love to pray with you. Celebrate that decision and point you in the right direction from here. But then for the rest of us, would you make it your prayer that God would fill you with his spirit right now? Maybe even make it your prayer. God, surprise me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Let the, the, the Holy Spirit fall on me once again and revive my heart. God, we're praying that right now in Jesus' name that your spirit would move in this place and fall on every person. Baptizing some in the spirit and into the family of God for the very first time, filling others all over again. But God, we pray that your spirit that mediates the power and presence of God would move in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as our team leads us?